Um, and I was just trying to get something. I was trying to get some stats. Yeah. I got back there. I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to get back there often. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week we wanted to do something a little bit different for Rewatch Month. We actually have a special bonus episode this week, and it's a conversation with former 49ers defensive lineman Ian Williams. We typically try to look at games in the pre-podcast era for Rewatch Month, so that's about 2011 and earlier. But I thought it'd be really fun to talk about some plays with someone who was in the trenches, someone who was actually there. So we picked a game from 2014. We picked the Monday night football game against the St. Louis Rams. This is when they were still in St. Louis, their last season there. And it was a game the 49ers ended up winning in Jim Harbaugh's last year. Now, it's, it's a great conversation with Ian. It's sprawling. We do a lightning round at the end as well. But at one point in the middle of the show, we do break down a couple of all 22 plays that we picked out that I thought were really interesting. I left some of that audio in the pod, but the whole video with the actual screen grab, what we're talking about, and a bit more expanded conversation is up on our Patreon. You can access that at patreon.com forward slash better rivals. You'll also be able to access the video breakdowns of all of our rewatch episodes and our all 22 scouting reports of Brandon Ayuk, Javon Kinlaw, and Jawan Jennings. So the pod conversation has most everything, but I think it's something that's going to be aided with a visual. And so if you wanted to actually see the plays that we're talking about while we're talking about them, definitely head over to patreon.com forward slash better rivals and watch the video with Ian. And so we'll jump right in to the conversation. It's the third of four pods during our rewatch month. Our next and last pod in rewatch month is going to be the 1998 overtime win against the Jets, one where Garrison Hurst rumbled into our hearts, and that episode is going to drop in a couple of weeks. So here's a conversation with Ian Williams. Ian Williams, thanks for joining the Better Rivals podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Having a good old uh, Saturday uh, afternoon so far. Yeah, so part of the rewatch month is going back, taking a look at some old games, and I thought, you know what, let's let's take a look at some games in 2014. It was the last Harbaugh year. It was really the year that you really started to come in and play some significant snaps, and so I thought it'd probably be good to break down some plays and take a look at some film with someone who was there. First, I wanted to talk about what 2014 was like coming in after the heartbreak of 2013 just as a whole. What was the team vibe like? Was it we know we're going to get back there. We're climbing that mountain or, or was some of the stuff that was swirling around Harbaugh really taking, taking effect in the locker room? No, I feel like uh, the consensus of the locker room, like we were trying to get back. Um, you know, we had already uh, reached the plateau in, in 2011 and then we got to the Super Bowl in 2012 and then we were able to almost get back in 13. So we felt that we had pretty much the same team. Um, we had a couple draft picks come in and we felt that we were uh, either better or, or the same and we can make it back. But obviously we had a lot of injuries that year and then we had a lot, uh, some retirements um, and we were pretty banged up that whole year. I think we went what, what was it, eight and eight. And, uh, we had a couple games where we struggled. And um, I still think back to that Rams game that uh, Cap fumbled on the, uh, the goal line that maybe if we win that game. Maybe we sneak into a wild card and maybe we make something happen. And, and Patrick comes back. He does retire. And, um, you know, history kind of changes, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. You know, we had, um, um, it was a fun year, um, even though we went eight and eight, um, and just having, uh, I still remember just having those guys around. That was the last time, you know, we had Justin Smith around, we had Patrick Willis around, um, 
we had uh, other guys around that, you know, the the next year they weren't there, you know, um, Frank Gore, you know, so many guys. So it was just, uh, it was kind of like the last, uh, you know, the the last dance, you know, if you want to um, reference that in any bit. What was that defense like playing for Vic Fangio? And, and what was your responsibility like coming back as that starting nose tackle? So tell me a little bit about what it's like to play for Vic and in that scheme, what the responsibilities of the nose tackle are. Uh, well, Vic, uh, he, he uh, I had the utmost respect for Vic because he was a player's coach and he understood the game and, and defense and how to simplify it so that you could play faster. Um, you know, too many um, times where a defensive coordinator, even though they may have a lot of knowledge or um, they want to do this or scheme this up, but it's just a lot for a player to have to, um, you know, think about in the heat of the moment. You're, you're tired. The adrenaline's going. Um, it's the third quarter. There's so much been going on. You're trying to remember plays previous so they don't hit you on the same play. Um, there's a lot of things going on, and, and you know, during the game. And when a coach can just simply call a simple defense, you've already gone through it the whole week. You've gone through practices. You've gone through the situations of what the offense is going to try to uh, uh, go after on game day. And he has you prepared for pretty much everything. I mean, that was the funnest part um, about about the game, just preparing for something. I miss that now. Um, even though I prepare for, uh, you know, watching the games and being prepared, uh, trying to prepare to, you know, talk about uh, the game or, or the guys, but just the preparation um, that we did uh, watching other guys around me, Justin, and um, just, I learned how to prepare, um, but it was just fun to to be a part of that defense and allow uh, or be allowed to um, go out there and have some fun and play next to uh, some of the, the greatest that have ever put on the red and gold helmet. Uh, but my responsibilities as, as a nose guard, especially uh, because I'm in the center of the defense, I'm um, a zero technique. So obviously I don't I'm not on the, the edge of a man like a, a three eye uh, or a three tech or um, a four eye. You know, I'm on the edge of a man. I'm on I'm, I'm zero. I'm head up on on the center. So either you're going to run through that person which is rare i mean i'm not dj jones you know i, don't, I can't I, <laughs> I didn't have that explosion like dj I, I can't just run over people like that um but it doesn't happen often you know you try to get on the edge and defenses know that that you know coordinators know that they try to get you on the edge so it helps out but my job was to plug up the middle and do my job on first and second down and that allowed uh justin and all the other guys to come in on third down and do their thing and get to the quarterback um i knew my uh, my weaknesses and i knew my strengths um, I was towards the, the the end of my career. I was starting to build on my weaknesses, uh, my pass rushing skills and stuff like that. So I, I wish I could have had more years to really build on that and see where I could have gotten. But my job uh, for for especially for a three four nose guard and Big Fangio's defense, uh, Mike Purcell, he's doing it very well um, out there in Denver right now uh, for for Vic, and he was with us here in San Francisco. He learned a lot from uh, myself, Glenn, and other guys who were on, who were on the team, and um, he just goes out there and does his job. He's a, he's a run plugger, and that's what you know the three four defense needs out of their nose guard. You know, looking, I remember I think it was a. Uh, 2015 where when when Bo came back and I remember Jimmy T telling me hey man you got a guy coming back uh, one of our best linebackers coming back off of a, a blown out knee he's gonna need you to protect them and hold down double teams that's why we have myself Quentin Dow and, and Glenn Dorsey uh, three nose guards out there playing uh, zero uh, and head up four techniques on on, on on run base downs to make sure Bo and Will Hoyt and um, uh, I think we had Hodges come in midseason, you know, trying to protect those guys. So um, that's pretty much what it was, you know, just trying to uh, play fast and, and, and trust your coordinator that he's putting you in the best position to be able to win. Now it's it's 2014. The, the game against the Rams was week six. You guys are coming into that game three and two. 
You had won two games against Philadelphia and Kansas City. Was there anything that you remember about the game plan going into the game, going up against a Brian Schottenheimer coordinated offense and going up against the, the St. Louis Rams, which I think that was their last year in St. Louis. Was um, that, was that a, uh, were we at St. Louis that, that, that game or was it, it was, was it, a- it was Monday night football at St. Louis. Yeah. At St. Louis. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, it was more of like, we just knew that we had to beat them. And, and uh, it was weird because anytime we traveled to St. Louis, it would be somewhat like an East coast game, even though it was like a, a West coast game. Of course, so we had to wake up early or, or whatever it was, it was just different. Um, but uh, I just remember like we had chances um, to win games. And just sometimes, you know, we weren't able to pull them out towards the end. And then uh, that Rams, I think we, we lost that Rams game right uh, on the road. Did on the road? Win? No, y'all ended up winning. 31-17. No, we yeah. We won. Yeah, yeah we won. I, was that? No, no, no. That was the game where... You guys lost the, the second game. Yeah. So yeah, the, yeah, yeah. When they came when they came to uh, home, that's that's when Cap fumbled on, on the goal line. That's when... Um, that's right. That was like a week before uh, the the Saint, uh, the New Orleans game. That's when I that's got right. injured. That's exactly uh, I right. Think, I think that, that, that home game for the Rams, I think that was the game that they had like a backup quarterback. That's right, and Austin Amar, Davis. And Amar, yeah, and Amar Brooks, they asked Amar Brooks after the game, like, hey, like, what do you think about it? He was like, who? <laughs> who? <laughs> we like, Amar, bro, like, you know who the quarterback is, man. Um, well, does the yeah. preparation change? I mean, because you're going in, and I think Sean Hill was the starter, and, and you're, you're going in, you're facing Austin Davis. Are, are you, as a defensive lineman, thinking to yourself, okay, they're either going to run heavy, in which case I'm here to do my job, or they're going to try and pass, in which case it's not going to end well for these poor guys? No, I mean, we want them. I mean, obviously, I, I, as a defender, I want them to run the ball at me. I mean, this you're not going to just run through me. You're not going to double me up to the backer and, and get through. Like, I'm going to do everything I can to hold my ground so that we can, you know, stop you on first and second down and get these guys like on third down to get after your quarterback. And especially when they have a third-string quarterback in there, you know there's limitations to their offense, so they're going to err. Uh, if they don't know what, what the defense is going to do, especially that quarterback, he doesn't know what the defense is going to do. He's going to err. He's going to check to a run. You know, um, He's not going to sit back there and try to read a defense because he's a third-string quarterback. He hasn't had a lot of reps. Um, he doesn't have a lot of trust in that system, um, or the, the the team doesn't have a lot of trust in him. So they're not going to you know, uh, try to give uh, or put too much on his plate. So um, I felt like anytime we went into a game against a backup quarterback, you know, obviously they're going to try to run the ball. So I needed to be uh, on my P's and Q's. Yeah, it wasn't uh, Sean Hill. That was far back in the Niners' backup quarterback. That Sam Bradford was the starting quarterback. Yes, and he yes, was injured, yes. And then Austin Davis yeah. came in. So you, you actually had a fantastic game against Rams. You had six tackles. Uh, all were stops. Initially, the Rams jump up to a 14 to nothing lead. And that's when the defense really begins to clamp down. Austin Davis didn't complete a fourth-quarter pass until there was about 419 left in the fourth quarter. So were mm-hmm. there any in-game adjustments that you remember where you think to yourself, okay, they're up 14-0, we've got to change something. Recently, we did a pod uh, where we recapped the, uh, 20, the 2003 game, and Mariucci talked about how he was like, all right, we're down. They were down by quite a bit more than 14 points. But they said, we've got to change everything. And they went to hurry up, and they changed everything. You know, I think at 14 down, you're probably not going to change a ton. But was there anything that Fangio or Harbaugh did where like, all right, we got to change these things and get back into it in order to, to continue to, to get, march towards winning the game? Uh, well, we weren't down like like 35 to zero. So you may mean 14 to zero early in the game. There's still plenty of possessions and plenty of time uh, left in the game for you to still stay and stick to your game plan and get back into the game. You just got to do what you need to do on defense and then do what you need to do on offense. Um, it was more a player error and them making plays than us beating beating ourselves or not playing well. So when that happens, you know, you just need to do what you need to do and, and play better. 
Um, I felt that like we we ended up doing that towards the middle and the end of the game. I think that first part of the game, like I told you, like those St. Louis games, it was just always weird. I, I remember, uh, you know, a, a few years before that 2014 game, we had an away game uh, at St. Louis and we ended up having to like play the game at like 10 a.m. And we had to wake up at like six o'clock in the morning uh, just to get ready and get over to the game because it was you know, technically a, a, a West Coast, West Coast, East Coast game. It was like the different time zone and stuff like that. And they still played it um, in a weird, like weird time. So we had to wake up super early and play the game. And it was just weird. You know what I'm saying? So they got on us um, and we were able to come back. And uh, I just, just the sideline, we had a lot of veterans. We had a lot of leadership on that sideline. So whenever we got down, um, you know, we had guys that would be able to pick us up and, and know that we've been in this position before and we can come back and win. One last question before we get into taking a look at some of the plays and, and we'll roll the, the all 22 here in a minute, but you mentioned having a 10 a.m. start and it was really weird. A lot of times for the Niners, people mention the 10 a.m. starts, the early games, staying away when you've got two East coast games. Did, did those early starts and those, those East coast trips, did they tend to affect the players? Does, does it really knock you off your routine where you're like, man, I really wish we just had those 1 PM West coast starts, or maybe didn't have to travel 2000 miles to go to a game. Is it something where you'd much prefer to not travel and, and those 10 a.m. starts really bug you? Or it's like, you know what? We're going to go out there and play and we're going to knock them out whether or not, you know, it's 10 a.m. or 12 a.m. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, like your body clock is, is you know, out here in California, we're three hours behind everybody. Um, so when you travel to the other side, you're three hours behind and your body, you know, you have a one o'clock game and your body's still at 10 a.m. Um, on the on the West Coast. So it's just a little weird at first, but eventually, you know, um, you get into a rhythm, you get into a groove, you get out there for warm-ups, and you realize, like, hey, man, I, I need to strap up my helmet because I got a football game. I got to be a professional. I got to make this money today. Um, so eventually, like, you know, you get, you know, you, you forget about all the other, you know, things with the time zone and stuff like that. But those East Coast games, uh, you know, it could be, you know, uh, difficult for players at times. You know, like I said, it just it just throws you off your, your routine. You know, when you're at home, you you have everything that you normally have. You have your facility. You have your home. You drive. You make your drive to the stadium. You know. You do this. You do that. Um, you may get a massage before. You know. You have everything set up when you're at home. But when you're in a way, you're kind of on. You know. Just just you're just doing things randomly, and it's like not scheduled and stuff like that. So it just kind of throws you off your uh, off your rhythm. But um, I felt like um, whenever we would go to the East Coast, we would stay in uh, Youngstown. Um, during the trips, and I, I felt like we did a lot of bonding during during those uh, those East Coast trips where we stayed over in Youngstown. Um, we went to boys and girls clubs. We went to uh, high schools. We went to uh, elementaries and like you know read books and stuff like that. So we did things in the community um, outside of football, which was uh, like allowed us to kind of like bond even more uh, amongst ourselves. So um, you know, looking back at you know what the team did this past year when they played Tampa Bay. Um, and then they went to Cincinnati, you know, that was, a, I, I was, I was worried about that Tampa Bay game, that first game in that heat like that, um, you know, Jimmy G kind of struggled against Kansas city in the preseason. So I didn't really know what was going to happen that first game, but Hey, the guys, you know, they, they prepared for it. They had the the heat tents out here and got guys ready for it. And then they went to the East coast and they handled their business and they went to Cincinnati and they handled the business. So uh, that just shows me like, it's like the time zone. That's just, more of uh, just making excuses for things. You know, at the end of the day, the better team's going to win. Yep. Yeah, that, that week one game against Tampa Bay was interesting because I think Tampa, no one really knew how good they were going to be. Uh, and I mm -hmm. think they, they ended up being a lot better than we thought they were week one. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and those five turnovers now, looking back at the end of the year, you're like, yeah, I could see how that defense would get five turnovers on, on the Niners. But 
Um, or, or I don't know if they got five, but they got several. Um, but let's yeah. let's run the tape on a couple of these plays here because there were a couple that I wanted to call out specifically where y- you did some really interesting things. So let's take a look at this right here. Can you see the uh, you see the screen there, Ian? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So let's go ahead and let the play run. This is going to be near the the goal line. It's going to be first and five, uh, still in the first quarter. It's interesting to me yeah. about this play is that it looks like you are one gapping and you're going to, sl- it looks like you're going to slant over here to the left and, and mm-hmm. you come back and spin back around and you actually are able mm-hmm. to come back and make a play. So I'm curious whether or not that's something that you, uh, that that's part of the structure of the defense where you're actually in charge well, of two gaps or whether it's mm-hmm. just something that you did. Like I see the split. So initially, no, we come out, we got three, four defense and usually, you know, we're head up, but we're, we're, um, we were given the ability to be able to clip it or, uh, leverage the formation. You see what I'm saying? So yep. normally I would be head up, uh, Dobbs 83 would be head up on the tackle. Uh, uh, Ray would be head up on the tackle right there. But since they have a near formation, see the tight end and the fullback yep. right there. Now you can kind of understand what they want to do on offense. So now you leverage the formation so that you can keep those offensive linemen off the linebacker. So see if, if I'm, if I'm head up right here and they run a zone stretch uh, to the left side, to the strong side right there. You're if out of I position. Step, I can be out of position. And now that center can climb up to 57. And now I'm scooped by that backside guard and they can get up and it's an easy touchdown. Yep. So everything that we do on a defensive line is trying to help the linebacker. So, yep. so leveraging this, this formation is to help the linebacker stay free because the offensive linemen want to hit hips and go up to the linebackers. But yep. if they, if we force them to have to stay on us, they can't go up to the second level. Yeah, and so they run a split zone where the play side is going to be exactly as you say. They start to play, and you hit that A-gap right away. I shoot it right here, and, and one of their schemes, what they like to do, and I, I, it was a very good scheme because that fullback, see how that fullback, it, he winds back to that backside. Mm-hmm. So it's a play that can hit front side or backside. Yep. But as soon as I see that fullback go backside like that, I know that I have Ray right here. Um, and there's no way that running back is going through my hole because I'm right there. So you know what? I'm a plant. I'm gonna show that I'm a I'm I'm gonna make them think that I'm trying to hit front side, but I'm a plant and come backside and I'm gonna spin backside. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah, and you can see you plant your leg right here. Actually, is when you start to plant mm-hmm. your leg, and then you mm-hmm. come it's right still, back yeah. around. Yep. Because mm-hmm. I knew everybody was gonna do their job, and I knew the the weakness of the defense because Dobbs is in uh, head up on is is inside of that tackle, and I knew the weakness of the defense. Yeah, so so it sounds like what you're, the structure of the D has you really playing that front side A gap, but because mm-hmm. you saw that fullback motion split back and and cut back and hit that backside edge, you're thinking to yourself, mm-hmm. okay, th- this is, I mean, it's a split zone. It's designed to either hit that front side or to cut back, and a lot of times they're yep. really hitting that cutback. So you know that that cutback is coming because the fullback is there, and then you hit that spin, which is a, a little bit of a good individual play, and you make that tackle. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's great. Really good stuff, man. So let's... I remember I remember that play too. I, I remember it like it's the other day. I remember. <laughs> well, it's, it's a good play just because, you know, oftentimes mm-hmm. what you see often here is you see just the, the play continuing to get washed, right? And, and you see the mm-hmm. center wells and you see him just continue to wash, right? But it's that plant leg right there where it's like stop and then spin. I mean, that hole is there, right? Yep, it Patrick, is. Patrick Willis has got someone on him and, and he's probably, I mean, he's already getting pushed back. If you don't make mm-hmm. that spin, you're looking at here. He's actually, you know, Dobbs is actually doing a pretty good job of long arming right there. Yep. Um, and, and so it, the hole's there, but all of a sudden it gets swallowed up real quick. Mm-hmm, exactly. All right, let's take a look at another play because there, there was another play later in the fourth quarter. Uh, at this point, y'all are up 24-14 um, and the pass rush. The, the play here is going to be a, a little bit of a pressure from your perspective. And 
it, it's a play action play first. And I, I wanted to just walk through what your responsibilities are and what kind of stress you feel as a defensive lineman when you see that play action. Because you eventually, you get that play action. It's a little bit of a zone play off to the left. But then, you know, the quarterback pulls it. He runs around. You end up beating the defender and getting a little bit of pressure on Austin Davis. And ultimately, I think Bethay gets the sack on the backside when he blitzes. So let's talk just a little bit about what's going through your mind as you think to yourself, okay, it's, it's a run play. Oh, no, it's not. It's, it's a pass play. And then what happens to your technique and, and your thought process and your assignments as you're moving through these things? Um, that's hard because now is it run or is it, is it zone stretch? So, at, at, so you kind of have your first couple steps, kind of like read steps. And then once you see what the uh, what the play is, then you can get into your rush or have to you know uh, hunk, um, um, hunker down and 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 sit for a double. So uh, once I saw that, you know, I was like, all right, I, I got I got the one on one. I got to get back here. I, let me. Uh, I got the edge on him because uh, normally, you know, if he if it's just a simple drop back pass, I have to get to an edge or go through the man. But since it was a, a play action, I was already on the edge, and I think he got his feet caught up with Ray a little bit because Ray was just going 100 miles per hour. So that helped me um, be able to get the edge and be able to hit hit a little move. And then I tried to just get a little sum. I got I got the back of the jersey. Um, I don't think they gave me anything, but I, I was just back there. So I was just trying to make something happen. You got you got a pressure on the stat sheet, but you got a sack in our hearts. You got a sack in our yeah. hearts. That's <laughs> <laughs> your hearts don't pay me. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about what that late motion does, because this is something that Shanahan loves to do a lot. I mean, we know that Shanahan uses motion at one of the highest rates in the NFL currently, and that's what his offense is really based off of. You mentioned how oftentimes you're going to clip this or really align to the strength of the formation, but this late shift now kind of shifts it a little bit later, right? You see actually uh, Ahmad Brooks shift late as well, and he kind of moves mm-hmm. inside when that motion comes over there. You didn't feel like you could clip and, and now all of a sudden you're, you're kind of over here and you're over on the edge. At what point do you realize that this is play action? I'm going to get to the quarterback. Um, well, for, for, for the motion, uh, well, teams obviously do that to see what you're in or just to throw you off. Cause think about it. If you could just line up and I could, I line up and I just run the ball, like, and I just do everything that you expect me to do. It's going to be easier for you. But as soon as that motion goes, now that motion has to uh, forces you to have to communicate or think uh, about more possibilities where now it's kind of like, Oh, like, I, like, I don't know. And, and these are the things that are going on through your head, you know, split second decisions, like what's, what's happening to me that you're trying to decipher. And then you kind of read the offensive lineman stance. And then uh, you see the linebackers, they come up, they take their first couple steps up their read steps. And then they see play action. You see the, the hats of the offensive lineman and then they start to back out to get back off to their coverage. Yeah, so it, it seems like when you see those motions, it, it does put more things in your head. It, it can slow you yeah, down. Yeah, it puts, and- puts more stress on you, and it slows down the defense. What, what, what do you do to a computer to slow it down? You give it more. You, you feed it too much, right? That's how you slow down the computer. Same yeah. thing with people. We're, we're, we're the same. So if you, if you give us too much information, you slow us down. And then also, with that motion right there, you, you mentioned Ahmad Brooks, how he stepped down. Mm-hmm. So now these are certain ways that you can manipulate a defense and force them into things. Because now, as an offense, you can't force a defense into much. But with certain motions, you can force a defense to step where you want them to step. So that's where a motion can work for your advantage to force the defense into doing what you want them to do. And that's what Kyle Shanahan does all the time, especially with Juice Tech, because yeah. he's a weapon that you have to uh, you have to pay attention to because with that motion, 
wherever he's going, the offense is going, wherever the ball's going. So, like, if he motions to the left, you think it's going left. Oh, no, he's, he's, he's coming back across the formation now. So it just forces the defense to have to think about more things, and that, that slows, down, slows down the defender. Awesome, man. Well, those are the two plays I got. And, you know, I definitely got a lot uh, in terms of, you know, just new things. I didn't know that you talked about clipping the formation. Is that something that leverage? Was, uh, is that something that was really built into the call? Or were you able to make that decision on the fly based on what you were seeing? So that was so Vic, when Vic first got out of here and he came from Stanford, Vic called everything because he was dealing with college kids. You know, I'm controlling the defense. I'm not going to let some college kids go out there and just run the defense and do what they want to do. <laughs> but no, we got Justin Smith. We got Ray McDonald. We got Patrick Willis and all these other guys. Um, and we know what we need to do on, on defense, especially on rundowns and then passing downs uh, where, you know, he would call 55 man coverage. And now that would tell Justin and, and Alden they can run some games. That's why you saw the games. They were running an ISO where, you know, Alden would loop around and they would, you know, Justin would hold the guard and stuff like that. Vic didn't call those games. It was all us. We would just look at each other because we ran those plays in practice and we didn't need to say anything. We would just get the point from the center. And before we broke the huddle, we were like, all right, we're going to run an ISO right here. All right, we're going to run a, a scoop right here. All right, we're going to run a, a twist game inside. All right, we're going to run an Ohio. All right, Alden, we want to put you on the other side. You know, just we we talked about this on the sideline and then pre-snap. And then, you know, once we got the, the point from the center, then we would run certain plays. But then the, the leveraging, that's more run defense um, to protect the linebackers and, and leverage the formation and obviously do your film study to know what the offense wants to do in a certain personnel in a certain formation. It's a numbers game. Oftentimes it's really about exactly. numbers and, and getting exactly. angles and getting numbers. And that's what you're trying to make sure that you make sure you got your exactly. numbers, protect people uh, and, and ultimately you know, out, out leverage the, the offense. Exactly. Um, and you force them just like they force you to move when they have their, their, their emotions, you force them into, you have to call this play. All right. So offense comes out, they have a, a, a strong uh, stretch play called. You leverage the formation, not, and now they don't have the numbers. And they can't run to the opposite side, so they have to run that play. And now you're leveraged perfectly, and you you have the right angles, and you have the right uh, guys uh, that, that are taking up offensive linemen. So you have the numbers game. All right, well, let's switch gears a little bit and let's let's do a quick lightning round. It's something we love to do with all of the guests that come on the Better Rivals podcast. Where we're just going to do some rapid fire questions. You give me the, the first cool. thing that comes to mind um, and uh, and we'll have a little bit of fun with it. So uh, let's go. First off the top, what's the favorite game that you played in uh, while you were a player for the 49ers, Ian? Favorite game? Um, I didn't actually play in a Super Bowl. Um, so that would, not playing, that would be the game. Um, actually playing. I would have to say, I'd say probably my um, that 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 first game in 2015, like when we wore the black jerseys. Yeah, uh, I was so hyped for that year. That was like I was like the leader of the defensive line that year. I was so hyped. I was finally healthy. I felt amazing. Um, and then those black jerseys, the first time we had ever wore those black jerseys, I, I just I felt so much energy. The fans gave us so much energy, and I just I, I'm getting goosebumps right now just talking about it. You know I, I was just, at that game. In those black jerseys, man, and just I think that was probably one of the funnest, uh, funnest times uh, that season for sure because that was the only game we won for a while. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, that 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 game right there, those jerseys, the the fans, that atmosphere um, that night was amazing. That was special. Yeah, that was a fun game. That was a game against I think the Vikings uh, season opener yeah. uh, and yeah. and I think Adrian Carlos Peterson. Hyde. 
Yep. Adrian, I, I remember Adrian Peterson ended up lead, leading the NFL in rushing yards. And I think we held him to like 16 or like 30 something yards. We yep. did a good job against him. He couldn't do anything. Then he ends up leading the NFL in rushing. Like he couldn't do anything against the 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 three and what two and what how many games did we win that year? The 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 bad news 49ers that year, he couldn't even run the ball against us. Yeah, that was that was a fun game. I do remember being in that game. It was a really fun game. Um, all right, most difficult offensive lineman that you faced? Marshall Yonder. Marshall Yonder. Yep. That's, yeah. yeah. Like opposing opposing offensive lineman, I would have to say Marshall Yonder, but just guys that I, I practiced against on a daily basis. Jonathan Goodwin, um, the center that we had for, for a few years during the Hallmark era, like he taught me so much just being a veteran. Um, and then Mike Ayupati, uh, Anthony Davis, uh, Alex Boone, Joseph, I mean, those five right there, those five guys. Yeah. I remember when we brought we brought in Leonard Davis. Um, uh, I think that was 2012 or 13. We had brought in Leonard Davis, and he was huge, bro. I'm telling you, like <laughs> six eight, 350, 60 pounds, and, and bro, like, and they lined me up against this dude. And I'm like, all right, bro, all right, you gonna get these two screws? I don't give, I don't care who you is or what you look like. I'm giving you these two screws. And I'm gonna dump him and make this play. I don't care, but yeah, it just. There's a lot of competition uh, between us uh, uh, on the team and then Marshall Yonder for sure. Uh, best cheeseburger you ever had? Best cheeseburger. Uh, I can't say in and out because. No, that's please don't. That, that's against the rules on the podcast. Yeah, it's against yeah, the rules. It's too generic. It's too generic. <laughs> I would have to say, um, I have to say five guys, yo. I do think five guys know, is underrated. I don't know what it is about five guys, and I've only had it a few times because it's so bad for you. But oh my God, is a, are they so good in those fries? And I'm they always give you getting... extra fries in the bag, too. They give you Yeah, they do. I'm like, yo, bro, give me shit. Give me stop holding out on that's what Chipotle be doing. They be holding out on the chicken, bro. Like <laughs> you gotta tell just like Chipotle, you gotta tell the Chipotle to give me double after because they, they if you say double at first, they'll they'll they'll, they'll go light on the uh, the scoop. Yep. Yep. You gotta get that round scoop. Don't come at it with the flat oh, yeah. scoop. Gotta get the uh, you've got two quarterback sacks in your career, one against AJ McCarron, the other against Nick Foles, more difficult quarterback to sack McCarron or Foles. <laughs> uh, McCarron, that was a carpet. That was a coverage sack. That was just a lucky sack. I just spinned out. And it was just, oh, he got a sack right here. That wasn't, that wasn't anything right there. That was the guys behind me doing their jobs. Um, and then that Foles sack, I remember um, that game right there. I was so dog tired that game. Um, I remember I, I looked at Jimmy T. I was like, Jimmy, I need a break. I was tapping my helmet. He's like, no, stay in there. And uh, this play happened where I kind of uh, um, – we had David Mocha. Uh, he was a center at Michigan, so I was pretty familiar with him. He was a smaller guy, um, and I was f- familiar with him. So I ended up defeating him on that play, um, got back there, and, and Foles ran away from me. And I was just tired, man. I was I was out there for the whole series. Um, and then that play happened. So I was just doing my best to try to get there. And then uh, I was running on fumes, but I was like GTA when, when you just running, you just go, don't got nothing left in you, but I was just giving it all I had. That's awesome. I love those. Uh, the, actually, I, I looked back to see who you had sacked and I was like, Oh, McCarron, I didn't know that. And I was like, Oh, Nick Foles. All right. That's, that's good. I like that. Uh, <laughs> Ian, you were a noted Madden savant. When you play mm-hmm. Madden, do you love to win or hate to lose? Man, I play Madden to uh, to have fun. You know what I'm saying? Um, 
I get online all the time and I play online and stuff like that. I play against people. They, they come out in one formation or, or just some unstoppable play. And it's like not fun. Like if I'm, if I'm beating you, like I'll, I'll quit the game. Cause it's not that big of a deal. To me. It's, it's mad. I play for the fun of the game and, and, and strategize. And I use the game um, to also learn the players around the league um, to uh, learn their faces. And then also, you know, go through strategy, you know, it kind of helped me. Um, just like when I played offensive line in high school, you know, now that you know the opposite position and how they're thinking and how they try to attack you, you can kind of use that as a defense. So when I'm playing Madden, I'm on offense and someone's throwing a, a, a nano blitz at me or a defense that I can't, you know, understand the coverage or something. And I try to let like, just work through it, you know, strategize through it. Same thing our offense is trying to do. Um, and it kind of helps me. So I have fun with it. Um, but I, it's a fun game. They've done a good job with it. Um, I hope it gets better. Um, they tweak some things, but it's a fun game. But I, I love to win, obviously. You know, and, you know, winning is fun. All right. So if you had one word to describe Javon Kinlaw, what would it be? Monster. No, no, I can't say monster. That's both. Um, probably I'd just say bulldozer or something like that, you know, because he's just, he just manhandles people, man. He's a he, and and that's why he got drafted so early because he has the raw talent where you don't have to tell him or teach him anything. Uh, not well, not teach, him, but you don't have to tell him to go 100 miles per hour because he's already going 100 miles per hour. Now you can get this raw talent. You can kind of formulate it how you want it to and teach him some finesse moves to be able to, to you know play off those powers because you're not going to be able to run over everybody because sometimes you're going to get a Rodney Hudson or a Marshall Yonda or a pouncy twin and you're not going to be able to just knock over and run over these 18 20 year old offensive linemen like he was in college and these are grown men so um i think that bulldozer uh, uh mentality that he has um just to go through you i don't care who you are i'm going through you is definitely going to help him and then once he learns that finesse move where he can you know where the offensive linemen try to sit on him and, and stop his power and he can hit him with a finesse watch out san francisco yeah, I think he's going to be fun, man. He's going to be real good. Real, real good. And, and, and he's too. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a large man. He's a large, yeah. large man. No, no, no I said, no, I said, and he's cheaper too. Oh, he's cheaper. I thought you said he's huge. <laughs> no, I said he's cheaper, man. We got to, hey, they talking about Kittle. He won a wide receiver contract and Fred Warner coming up and McGlinchey coming up and all these other guys coming up. But he ain't going to be able to pay everybody. So, like, so that's he, my last question. My last question is what's the per year number that you would pay George Kittle? That's a tough one because it has to be above what Travis Kelsey's making. And I think Austin Hooper just signed the contract. I think it has to be two. It has to be way more than Austin Hooper because Austin Hooper, he's a good player, but he's not George Kittle. Um, but it has to be, it has to be, it has to set the market for tight ends. Um, but obviously his agent is going to push for it as rightfully. So he should be pushing for um, wide receiver money because that's how they use them. Um, but with that being said, that can also hurt you as an offense. And now you can have to start forcing the ball to him because you've paid this man so much money and it kind of hurts your offense because you have to force the ball because people, when you look at the stat sheet and you have a player making $18 million and he has three receptions in the game, that ain't going to work well. You know what I'm saying? So I, I would do my best to pay him 2 million or 3 million over what uh, Kelsey's making. All right, Ian. Well, thanks for your time, man. It was a lot of fun. It was good taking a look at some of those plays. Uh, it was fun going through the lightning round. Uh, love some love for the five guys. Uh, I'm glad you didn't go with in and out. Trust me. It's uh, you made the right decision.
if I do go, right, I'm not going to lie. So if I'm out and about and I feel like, you know, I I, I want to get like, I want to get sloppy a little bit. I'll go to In-N-Out and I'll get me uh, um, a double-double uh, animal style, protein style um, with the fry. And I'll call it a day. You know, that's kind of my thing. I don't, I don't really eat bread. I try not to eat bread as much as I can. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my thing out here. I don't really go to Chick-fil-A too much. I don't, I don't go to McDonald's. I never haven't had McDonald's since probably college. Yeah, the thing that gets me about it now is always the fries, man. I I, I can't I can't mess with those fries. They're so bad. What you mean? They're hey, so hey, bad. If you don't like the fries, bring them to me, man. <laughs> and everyone always everyone always tells me like, oh, just get them well done. And I'm like, I shouldn't have to tell you how to cook my French fries exactly. for them to be good. Exactly. Like, they got to be steak. good. <laughs> this is what I this is what I know you just like steak and shake or all these other uh, Wendy's that have the different types of fries. You know what I'm saying? Checkers. Have you ever been to Florida and had checkers? Man, I, I, I've been to Checkers at 4.30 in the morning in New Orleans. <laughs> in New Orleans. Let me tell you that I, I literally walked up. I was, I was very hungry and very drunk. Uh, and there's this woman who's at the, at the window and this very drunk individual with no shirt on walks up and she goes, can I take your order? And he goes, and she goes, cheeseburger. <laughs> and he goes, I mean, and she gets, and she's like, that'll be a dollar fifty or whatever it was. He puts like two pennies on the counter, and she just gives him a bag, and she's like, "Be on your way. I'm not even gonna mess with you right now." <laughs> hey man, she did you a solid, man. You, it's, that's, that's what's up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, thanks again, Ian. It's a blast having for you sure. on, uh, and hopefully, maybe we can do this again sometime and take a look at some other place. Oh yeah, for sure. Stay healthy and God bless, bro.